of the Old Testament, uh, reading Genesis chapter 21. Uh, Genesis chapter 21. And this morning we are uh, going to read uh, from verse uh, 22. We um, probably are inclined to think, um, as we look at the Genesis chapter 20, and then the first part of Genesis chapter 21, and then the second part, that uh, the story of Abraham and Abimelech is interrupted. But there is a very real sense in which uh, Genesis chapter 21 from verse 22 on uh, is a continuation and a furtherance of what we saw a couple of weeks ago in Genesis chapter 20. So let's uh, read from Genesis chapter 21 and verse 22. At that time Abimelech, that's the man that Abraham had been dealing with in chapter 20, the king, uh, and Phicol, the commander of his forces said to Abram, God is with you in everything you do. Now swear to me here before God that you will not deal falsely with me or my children or my descendants. Show to me and the country where you are living as an alien the same kindness that I have shown to you. Abram said, I swear it. Then Abraham complained to Abimelech, about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized. But Abimelech said, I don't know who has done this. You did not tell me, and I heard about it only today. So Abram brought sheep and cattle and gave them to Abimelech, and the two men made a covenant. Abram set apart seven ewe lambs from the flock, and Abimelech asked Abram, what is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs you've set apart by themselves? He replied, Accept these seven lambs from my hand as a witness that I dug this well. So that place was called Beersheba, because the two men swore an oath there. After the covenant had been made at Beersheba, Abimelech and Phicol the commander of his forces returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba, and there he called upon the name of the Lord, the eternal God. And Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines for a long time. Amen. Chapter 21 uh, in uh, the Church Bible, uh, page 21. And we want to look at the second part of this uh, chapter uh, today from verse 22 uh, to verse uh, 34. If you were um, following the reading in the NIV, uh, you will have noticed again that I changed um, a word uh, this week, um, and I changed the word treaty, as it is in the NIV, to the word covenant, because that is the theme, I believe, of this further section 
in Genesis chapter 21. Covenant is not a word uh, that people use or come across a great deal in daily life. If you go to a wedding, you may hear it used in the wedding service as a sign of the covenant into which you have entered. These rings are given and received. Or if you go to your solicitor and he's drawing up some legal document for you, quite often you will find the word covenant in it. And apart from the context of uh, the wedding service uh, and the solicitor's office or the legal world, we don't come across the word covenant a great deal or people in general uh, don't. But for you and I who are Christians and who are familiar with the scripture, the word covenant ought not to be off limits. This word covenant indeed should be part of our uh, spiritual psyche. It should be part and parcel of our everyday vocabulary. It should be as familiar to us as the word repentance or the word regeneration or the word justification or sanctification. Because this word is at the heart of the scriptures. And this word is at the heart of biblical faith. As saving faith in Christ. Both in the Old Testament and also in the New Testament. Indeed there are some who would say that it is the key theme. That links the Old and the New Testament or covenant as it could be called. This word occurs about 270 times in the Old Testament. And uh, an equivalent Greek word occurs 33 times in the New Testament. So if we're going to be Christians, uh, followers of Jesus Christ, we need to understand covenant. What is a covenant? Well, it is a solemn or binding agreement. Usually made by a superior with an inferior. And so that's why it's suitable as an expression of what God does for you and me in salvation. He, the superior, the eternal one, the holy one, comes to us, the inferior, those that are made in his image but marred by sin. And he brings us into covenant with him through his son the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a solemn binding agreement. Made between usually uh, a superior and an inferior. That must not be broken. And uh, as I said it's made by God with his people. But then at the horizontal level. A covenant is also a binding agreement. Uh, that is made between men. And that's our people. That's why marriage is a covenant. But again there's the idea of a headship even within marriage and submission. And then God's people make covenant with him in Christ and with one another. That's another aspect. We are in covenant with God as individuals uh, through Christ but then we're also in covenant with each other in the fellowship of the church 
And there are times when as Christians we will make covenants with God and with one another. In our studies in the life of Abraham, this man who was called to live by faith in Christ, we've already seen God's covenant with Abraham, Genesis chapter 15. And in that covenant, God was going to give Abraham this parcel of land, which we know as Canaan. And then in chapter 17, verse 21, he promised another part of his covenant would be to give him a son. So Abraham is a covenanter. A covenanter is someone who lives in a solemn and binding covenant with God. Because God has said to Abraham, I will be God unto you. And then Abraham is obliged to walk before the Lord. He's obliged to be blameless. He's obliged to keep the covenant. Genesis chapter 17. And we saw that there was a sign given to that covenant. Circumcision in the Old Testament. Baptism in the New Testament. So Abraham is in covenant with God through Christ. As are you and I. Abraham is a covenanter. And I want to say this morning that you, whether you realise it or not, are covenanters. If you're saved this morning, you live in the new covenant of Jesus' blood. Luke 22, verse 20. And so you are a covenanter with a small c. Covenanters also a name used of the Reformed Presbyterian Church. We are covenanters, now with a capital C, because back in the 1560s, the earliest days of our church in Scotland, and since then, in the centuries since then, we have entered into solemn covenants with God in Christ. And in those covenants in earlier centuries, uh, and more recently, we bind ourselves to die, to die, if needs be, for the authority of Christ in his church. That he alone has authority to determine what the church believes, what the church preaches, uh, what the church requires in terms of behavior. The nation, the state, cannot interfere in the life of the church of Christ. My first synod, uh, that's the big annual gathering of the ministers and elders, was in 1990, and it was in Creva, and it was a covenant renewal synod. When we as ministers and elders entered into covenant with God through Christ, and then that uh, was done by the congregation subsequently over the next year or year and a half. Now this morning our subject then is Abraham, a 21st century covenanter. I'm not suggesting that Abraham's living today, but he lived in the 21st century before Christ. Even as you and I live in the 21st century after Christ. So here's an example of a man who was an early covenanter. And there are three things that I want us to note this morning. Uh, Abraham living within the covenant, or living as a covenanter. 
First of all, let's see Abraham enjoying covenant blessing. Abraham enjoying covenant blessing. And we're back again to this verse and this phrase that I spoke to James and Ben about. God is with you in everything you do. We can very easily miss the big picture in Scripture. Because we look at it in sections and chapters. And we see a story here. And then there's something else that's recorded here and it's different. And something else that's recorded here and it's different again. And we don't see the big picture. I want to suggest to you that from Genesis chapter 15 through to Genesis chapter 21, the ongoing theme is that of Abraham in covenant with God. And what do you have then in the chapters in between where we get a new story? For example, Genesis chapter 16, Hagar and Ishmael. That's only there because Abraham didn't keep the covenant. It's an example of covenant disobedience. And then chapter 20, the whole incident where, where that, uh, that happened in Abimelech's house. Again, it's another time, another example of covenant disobedience. So what you really have is Genesis chapter 15 uh, from verse 1. Uh, then leave out Genesis chapter 16, if Abraham hadn't sinned. Genesis 17, you have the covenant sign. Uh, Genesis 18, the fulfillment of the promise. Uh, and then you have a, a, a diversion again about Sodom and Gomorrah. In chapter 19, chapter 20, you have Abraham's sin again. And chapter 21, you're back to the fulfillment of the covenant if Abraham had lived a covenant life, an obedient covenant life, then the narrative would have jumped from Genesis 15 verse 21 to Genesis 17 verse 1 and run through to Genesis 18 verse 15 and then it would have jumped again to Genesis chapter 21 verse 1. It's not until chapter 21 after God has dealt with the sin of believing Abraham and Sarah, that the story of God's covenant established in chapter 15 and continued in chapter 17 can be taken up again. And so chapter seven, chapter 21 sorry, shows us Abraham now living in active, ongoing covenant obedience. And in that, he then enjoys covenant obedience blessing. In both of the ways that God has promised him earlier, he now has a son, Isaac. And he now, uh, as is um, in this chapter, uh, um, secures the first piece of land in Canaan, when the well that he digs at Beersheba is recognised by King Abimelech a local powerful king as belonging to Abraham. So both the son and the well at Beersheba are the blessings, they're the outflow of a life 
of covenant obedience. It is striking, is it not? And important to note that Abimelech observes and recognizes that Abraham is living under God's blessing. Verse 22. At that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, spoke to Abraham, saying, God is with you in all you do. In case you weren't here a couple of weeks ago, let's just rehearse and uh, refresh our memories of the contact that Abimelech and Abraham have had. It's chapter 20. And Abraham almost brought the judgment of death and hell upon this man, Abimelech. By not disclosing to him that Sarah was his wife. And Abimelech took Sarah and he hadn't taken her to his bed, but that was his plan. And had God not intervened, then um, that would have happened. And God said to Abimelech, you're as good as a dead man. But then, wonderfully, in that whole episode, God brought good out of evil. So that where sin did abound, there did grace much more abound. And Abraham had to pray for Abimelech. Uh, and Abimelech uh, recognises Abram's God. And he says to Abram at the end of it, My land is before you. Live wherever you like. And Abimelech gives Abraham gifts. And he's recognising Abraham the believer and Abraham's God. And so that was the contact then. So why are they in contact now? Well, Isaac has been born. For three years or thereabouts. As we saw last time. And that means Abimelech has known Abraham for about three to five years. And it would appear now that they are firm friends. Because it was at that time. Notice those little words, verse 22. At that time that Abimelech and Phicol spoke to Abraham. And James and Ben, here's the answer to the question. In other words, these men... These local power brokers, Abraham and Phicol, they're present at the feast Abraham holds to mark Isaac's winning. That's the time, at that time. It ties back with the early part of chapter 21, at the time of this party. That's when they were invited to come by Abraham to his house. And as these men reflect over the past three to five years that they have known Abraham, they recognize and they believe that God is the secret to all that Abraham is, to all that Abraham does, to all that Abraham has, and to all that Abraham enjoys. At that time, Abimelech and Phicol spoke to Abraham, saying, God is with you in all that you do. Now let's think about that. In the bigger context of Abraham's life. 25 years ago. 
he came to this land of Canaan. He didn't know a single person. The Lord had brought him there. He'd established altars, places of witness there. He'd moved from place to place. And here now, 25 years after he first comes to the land, a local king and his top military brass recognize Abram and the Lord whom Abram worships and serves. Abram, a covenanter, is living under covenant blessing. The scriptures teach that those who live in obedience within God's covenant in Christ, you and I, as we do that, will know covenant blessing. The Lord Jesus will be the obvious explanation to all that we are, to all that we achieve, to all that we have, to all that we enjoy. To have work, to earn a living, is part of God's covenant blessing. To have a happy family life is part of God's covenant blessing. Our homes, whether owned or rented, the possessions that we have, whether they're many or few, they are part of God's covenant blessing upon us in Christ. Peace of mind and contentment of life are essential aspects of God's covenant blessing in Christ. The fruit of the Spirit is God's covenant blessing in Christ, where we become more like Christ in our character and conduct. Our church life, the love and the unity, the friendship and fellowship that we have is God's covenant blessing in Christ. And those we associate with in work, those whom we, whom we invite to our homes, those who come into our church, those who watch our lives, they will observe God's covenant blessing. Now they'll maybe not put it the way that Abimelech does. God is with you in everything you do. But have you ever had someone say to you, I wish I had your peace, your faith. I wish I had a family like yours. What do they say? They're saying God is with you in all that you do. What are people saying? Well, they're saying God is with you in all that you do. By enjoying God's blessing, his covenant blessing, it's not automatic. It's not automatic. It's not something that just happens no matter how we live. This is the product and this is the outcome of a life of faith and obedience. And there were times when Abraham did not have covenant blessing. The whole Hagar and Ishmael uh, 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 saga. 
and the time in Egypt earlier, and the time when he lied to Abimelech. He was not living then under covenant blessing, because he was not living by faith. He was not living by obedience. Jesus put it like this. He who abides in me bears much fruit. He who abides in me knows covenant blessing. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. You will abide in my covenant blessing. Your joy will be full. You will bear witness. And so this covenant blessing, it's ours. As we live by faith and in obedience to Jesus Christ, our Saviour, the Son of God, day by day. Abraham enjoying covenant blessing. Something that Abimelech sees uh, and at close quarters notices in his life. Are we enjoying covenant blessing? Are you enjoying covenant blessing? Abiding in his love. Knowing joy. Because you're living by faith. And living by obedience towards Christ. But then let's notice secondly. Abraham entering covenant commitment. Abraham entering covenant commitment. And we're looking now at the next verses from 23 to 32. Abimelech after recognising God's blessing on Abraham. He presents a request to Abraham. Look at verse 23. Now therefore, swear to me by God that you will not deal falsely with me or my children or my descendants. Show to me in the country where you are living as an alien the same kindness that I have shown to you. What are we to make of Abimelech's request? Is this selfish opportunism? On the part of Abimelech? Is he simply here looking for his own interests? Is this a, a pact for good community relationships between those of differing faiths? Abraham, you have your God and I've got my God. Is that what he's saying? Live and let live, as we're told today? Or is this good old fashioned bargaining? I was nice to you when you needed me to be. And you better be nice to me when I need you to be. In other words, one good turn deserves another. I want to suggest that there's something much, much more significant happening here than any of those things. And it's none of those things. You're familiar with the story in the scriptures hopefully, of Rahab in the time of Joshua. Joshua chapter 2. Remember what is happening? Joshua was sending the spies into Canaan. Uh, this uh, is obviously much later than this. This is they're, when they're about to take the land as the whole people and enter it. And we're told in chapter 2, verse 1 of Joshua, they came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab. And what did she do? Did she say, come in? 
I'm always looking for men to ply my trade with. No, she didn't. Did she call the city guard uh, to arrest them and say, here's the men that are going to come soon and take our city? No, she took them in. And she hid them. And she protected them. And she encouraged them. And she sent them away safely. Why? Why? Because she had become, she had come to believe that, I quote, the Lord has given you the land. And then she made a request. And notice how similar her request uh, 500 years later is to this request made by Abimelech to Abram. Listen to it. Now therefore, I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, that you will also show kindness to my father's house. Spare my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and deliver our lives from death. What was Rahab doing? Was she being opportunistic? Was she looking for her own interests? Was she making a pact for good relationships? Hebrews tells us, doesn't it? Chapter 11, verse 31. By faith the prostitute Rahab received the spies in peace. And I want to say to you, what is in the world like doing? With Abraham. Well, he's receiving Abraham by faith in peace. Abimelech here is expressing his faith in Abraham's God. And he is seeking protection for him and his household and his people from this God of Abraham. Abimelech is not acting like others in the land who do not believe. The writer to the Hebrews had wanted, he could have put in another verse. By faith, Abimelech asked to be in covenant with Abram and his God. If it is anything else, if it's anything less than an evidence of his faith in Abram's God, then Abram is entering into covenant with an enemy. And he's entering into covenant with God's enemy. And with his enemy. He's entering into covenant with those whom God is going to destroy because of their wickedness. But Abraham, without a moment's hesitation, said, verse 24, I will swear. Abraham doesn't have the slightest hesitation in swearing uh, an oath and entering a covenant with Abimelech because I believe he recognizes in Abimelech the early but nonetheless tangible evidence of faith in his Lord and in his God. Notice how Abimelech asks for this covenant to be entered. He says, swear by, it's not before God, it's swear by God. Not just in God's presence. We're not just going to do this before God, but we're going to do it in God's name. 
And look at also the other word. The word kindness. This is not you being kind to your neighbour and helping them out when they're in trouble. This is this rich Old Testament word, chesed, which means loving kindness, means mercy, it means grace. And the term, Kidner says, is part of covenant language. So Limelech is saying, I want to be in covenant with your God. And I want to know the blessing. And I want my family to know the blessing. And I want my people to know the blessing. That you, Abraham, know from this God who's brought you into this land and who put you in my backyard three to five years ago and who's established this relationship between you and me. And so we read in verse 27, Abraham took sheep and oxen and he gave them to Abimelech and the two of them made a covenant. See, that's how covenants were made. You sacrificed animals, you cut them in two and then you set them down on the ground and then the two parties walked in between the animals, the two halves of the animals, they walked through together and they were saying, let God cut me in two if I break this covenant that I've made before God and with God and with you. And so, they enter into covenant. And Abraham has to give Abimelech animals to do this with because Abimelech's away from home. Verse 32. You see, Abraham's not in his backyard of Abimelech any longer. Abraham is now further south and east, whereas Abimelech is still on the coast. But Abimelech has come to see Abraham where he is at Beersheba, further south and east. And so Abraham gives Abimelech the sheep that he needs in order for them to enter into this covenant ceremony. Now notice what happens, what Abraham does then, within this covenant agreement between him and Abimelech that all centres around God and salvation and blessing. Abraham then addresses Abimelech with a matter of personal grief to him. Look at verse 25. Then Abraham complained as pathetic, I've got to say. Abraham reproved. That's what the word is. He actually, this is not him saying to Abraham or to Abimelech, by the way, Abimelech, when you're here, there's just something I want to talk to you about. This is Abraham saying, Abimelech, there is a major issue that you and I as friends, that you and I as brothers, that you and I who serve God and have entered into this covenant, we have got a face up to together. Because this actually contradicts the relationship that there is between you and me. So he's reproving him. Abraham reproved Abimelech because of a well of water which Abimelech's servants had seized. Water and grass were often contentious issues in that culture. A bit like flags and marches in Northern Ireland. But in the context of God's covenant 
and its covenant equals. Abraham and Abimelech have to address and resolve this difficulty between them. And Abraham is frank and he's forthright about the problem. As Abimelech in verse 26, he says, I don't know who's done this. You did not tell me and I heard about it only today. If we're friends, if we're brethren, if we're in relationship, you've got to be open and you've got to be honest with me. I can't solve a problem that I don't know exists. That's what Abimelech's saying. And so, they sort the thing out. Notice how Abraham wants to make it as easy for Abimelech to face up to the issue. He wants to make it easy for him to listen to it and address it. He wants to woo and to win Abimelech, not insult him and alienate him. So we read in verse 27. Yeah, Abraham set or brought sheep and cattle and gave them to Abimelech. Uh, sorry, it's not verse 27. Uh, it's the one about the lambs. Where am I at? I've lost my place here. Uh, sorry, verse 29. 28. Abraham set apart seven new lambs from the flock. Verse 29. And Abimelech asked Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven new lambs you've set apart by themselves? And he said, You will take these seven new lambs from my hand. And again, I think there needs to be a change here. And I don't know, most of the translations don't get this, but the best Hebrew commentaries bring it out. Uh, and it says, You will take these seven new lambs from my hand, that you may be my witness. That you may be my witness. That you may defend. That you may stand up for the fact that I dug this well. So here we have Abraham entering covenant commitment with Abimelech. And in doing so, he's not been disobedient. He's been faithful to his God and his Lord. And what are we to learn from that? About entering into commitments with others. Covenant commitments. Well, believers enter into covenant commitments of all kinds. The covenant commitment of friendship. You see it later on in David and Jonathan in the Old Testament. We enter into the covenant of marriage. Covenant of business. We enter into covenant as church members. Family is a covenant community. Church membership is a covenant act. And what are we to learn here from this? Well, we're to learn that as believers we enter into covenant commitment with other believers. We do not enter into a covenant commitment with an unbeliever in marriage or business. That's why Paul says in the New Testament, do not be unequally yoked. And that's why as a church, we will not bring unbelievers into church membership. Because we're not to be unequally yoked. But then we see something else, do we not? Very practical for covenant relationships. Within covenant relationships in family and in the church and in business, problems will arise. Griefs and differences may arise. 
And what are we to do? Well, we're to be frank. We're to be honest. We're to be open with each other about those. We're to deal with them in a Christ-honouring way in the family. If it happens between us as husband and wife. And a husband or a wife or a child and a parent, they can't put the thing right if the other doesn't know what the problem is. And so there's got to be this open communication between one another within the family, within the church, wherever we are in covenant with people. And then we're to deal with issues. Not like a bull in a child's shop. But in love and gentleness and patience and generosity of heart and hand as Abraham does here in a way that woos the other person in a way that wins our brother not seeing them as Paul puts it in the New Testament as an enemy. So we have Abraham 21st century covenanter enjoying covenant blessing Entering covenant commitment. And thirdly and finally, and I'm going to have to cut this one, uh, engaging in covenant worship. Engaging in covenant worship. The great feast to mark Isaac's weaning is over. Verse 32. The covenant with Abimelech is made. And Abimelech leaves to return to that coastal region where he lives. And um, that's known, as I was saying to James and Ben in the children's address, as the land of the Philistines, because that's where the Philistines will ultimately settle. Abimelech and his people are not Philistines themselves. Um, the Philistines won't come until about 800 years later than after Abraham. But here now we see Abraham on his own again. What does he do? Well, look at what he does. Having had this experience, the weaning of Ishmael, the sending away of Hagar, the sending away of Ishmael, the entering into the covenant with Abimelech. And what does he now do? Verse 33. Abraham planted the tamarisk tree in Beersheba, and there he called upon the name of the Lord, the eternal God. Well, he plants a tree. Doesn't seem very significant, but it is very significant in that culture. Because the tamarisk tree provides good shade from the sun. And Abraham is going to spend a lot of time at this well, watering his flocks. And he will need shelter. And he will live in this area, verse 34, for many years to come. And so we can imagine Abraham in the future sitting there under the tree as the sheep um, are drinking water and Abraham will have an occasion and a place to reflect on God's covenant dealings with him over the past days and months and indeed the past 25 years and he'll be able to remember God's covenant faithfulness to him and to his it's important for you and for me to have our tamarisk tree planted as well in our lives. 
in the hustle and bustle of life, when days become weeks and weeks become months and months become years, that we set aside a time and a place and an occasion to reflect on God's covenant dealings with us in Christ. During this past week, I was in cash from Wednesday to Saturday. I'm getting ready for the conference of next weekend. And independent of this sermon, I found myself reflecting on the past two years. I find myself reflecting on the measure of personal recovery and well-being that God has given me. I find myself reflecting on God's covenant faithfulness to us as a congregation. Preserving us in love and unity and purpose in the midst of testing. And granting us increasing opportunities for the gospel uh, in this past year. You see, he planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba. Do you have a tamarisk tree? A time? A place? Will you as a believer sit and reflect on God's dealings with you in Christ? Well, look at what that leads to then. When we do that, verse 33. And there he called upon the name of the Lord. See, there he engages in worship, reflection, and remembrance of God's covenant faithfulness leads this man of God out into worship, flows into worship. He offers gratitude and praise to his Saviour, Jesus Christ, to his God and Father. Evesome comments this spot which he could call his own became his sanctuary. Place of worship. And in his worship he discovers something new about his Lord. Look at what he realizes. There's a new name for God here. He calls him now, he called on the name of the Lord the eternal God, the everlasting God. It's the first time that this name is used in Genesis. As you read through Genesis, the various stages, God is given a new name. And what are we being taught about worship? Well, we're taught that in the midst of worship, that's when we discover more of God. More of Christ. More of his being. More of his person. More of his work. More of his grace. And so worship is essential to our spiritual growth and development. How can Abraham, how can we keep our covenant commitments with God and with one another in marriage and baptism and church membership only as we give ourselves to covenant worship? And receive that strength that we were singing about at the beginning of our service. And that grace and mercy that are in Christ. Neglect covenant worship. Either day by day in our own homes. In our families. Or on the Lord's day. And you and I will quickly make shipwreck of our covenant commitments to one another. 
you find yourself arguing with your spouse when you didn't to the same degree in the past. You'll find yourself provoking your children. You'll become distant from your fellow church members. You see, the vertical relationship with Christ must be maintained for the horizontal covenant relationships to flourish and prosper. And so we find Abraham here engaging in covenant worship, reflecting God's providential dealings with him. Led into worship then, keeping with scripture, and then led to a greater understanding. And as we engage in worship, our Saviour reveals more and more of his everlasting being and grace to us. Not mystically. Not mystically. Not mysteriously. Not through dreams or visions or prophetic utterances from the congregation. But by a spirit through the word read and sung and preached and understood and applied to our hearts. Abraham the 21st century B.C. Covenanter. What a covenanter he was. What a challenge he is to you and to me in the 21st century to be covenanters with a small c and also with a large c enjoying covenant blessing. Living in faith and obedience. Entering covenant commitment with other believers um, in membership in church and in all the other ways in life that there's opportunity to do so. And then engaging in this covenant worship. Remembering how the Lord has dealt with us. And knowing his dealings with us more and more so that we're growing to love him with all our heart and soul and mind and strength.